access some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. My name is Chris Spangle. It is so great to have you here. We're going to do the show that I haven't wanted to do. I hate all this culture war stuff, but everybody's going to be talking about it, so we want you to know what's going on, and we're going to have a healthy debate about it, and we hope you learned something, and uh, we promise everybody's going to walk away angry at all of us. So stay tuned. We're going to talk about critical race theory and Loudoun County schools and school boards and public schooling and all that good stuff right after these messages. Warning. This show is for adults by semi-adults, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to the Chris Spangle Show. Our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. If you struggle to understand politics, we explain it from an independent, libertarian point of view. With all of the irreverence it deserves, we toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, Chris Spangle, a 15-year veteran of politics and media. Welcome to the program. Again, my name is Chris Spangle. It is great to have you here on a Saturday morning. We are live on Facebook again. Uh, on I can stream after my 90-day ban. We're live on Twitch and Periscope and YouTube, so join us on most Saturday mornings. Uh, so we are uh, glad that you are with us. Before we start, I want to thank all of our Wall Plus members, as they are the reason the show and the network exists. We've got 13 shows, and they pay all the bills here. And uh, we have such a, a great group of people. Everybody's flying into town next week or, or next month, and uh, we're going to have a big pool party and catch up. And I'm going to meet people like Hody and Rimzo in person for the first time. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And you can help continue to grow liberty and the awareness of just like what we do is help people make sense of what's going on around them. Uh, and you know, that is so helpful. You know, we also try to help people uh, find some meaning and find uh, some uh, positive things that are happening in the world. Um, as uh, Harry said, this pool party is going to need a lot of sunscreen. Yeah, so we thank uh, Rimzo and Harry for being our diversity. Um, now, we want to thank our $100 a month members, John Pusillo, Casey Feldposh, Lars Nordskog, Jake Edel, Matthew Durbin, Jeff Bennett, Ryan Hold, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle for help helping us uh, fund this operation at such a generous uh, position. And if you want to join and get all kinds of goodies like merch and uh, ad-free shows and the entire back catalog, there's a thousand episodes from the past of the network uh, past shows on the network, the Chris Spangle show, the We're Libertarian show, all the stuff that we um, don't want publicly made available anymore <laughs> is behind the paywall. And you can join on our Patreon at joinwallplus.com. That is W-A-L-plus.com. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, what is happening in Loudoun County. We First, let me just introduce the gang. First off, here is the great Harry Price. Uh, Harry, how are you today? Going good, going good. Thank I got my coffee, so doing good. He ran to, he, he felt oppressed. Uh, Rimzo went to get coffee, and he said, well, why can't I get coffee? And I said, you can get coffee. Go ahead. And he said, uh, well, wait, 
I yeah, can't yeah, just yeah. be mad at you for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, just wanted to make sure. Uh, I just, um, but it's okay. I've been on edge all week, anyways. Um, we need an equal caffeination level. That is the voice oh, yeah. of Rimzo Martinez, and Reinhold is also here. Why are you on edge, Harry? Uh, no, uh, my wife has been uh, coming in and subtly like lowering the temperature in the house. It was like 68 degrees most of this week in the house. It was awful. It is 67. It's terrible. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I, it is 67 in Divorce here. It's hot. <laughs> I know. I had to wear a sweater. Not only do I have my my fiance going, it's so cold in here. I have to go work on the back porch. I now have the two and a half year old going, I cold. So I'm I'm getting outnumbered. It's not good. They they wanted it at 75 and I wanted it at 65 and it's just a battle. But you know I have to whip out the old dad move. You can put on clothes, but I can't take them off. If you want to get warm, and Harry, you have the inverse relationship where you're you're always cold, and Lacey likes it likes it uh, likes it cold, and you like a hot. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And it, which is awful, you know, and, you know, she just goes over and just pushes the button down and, and I eventually feel it and then have to go back and bring the bring it back up. You know. See, what I, I would do, go what I'm going to do is, you know, in those schools or public buildings where they have the little plastic cases with the locks on it, that's what I'm going to do mm-hmm. when I move into it. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I thought about doing that. That's my next move. <laughs> you know, either, either I go digital, I'll just control it through the network, and I'll just bring it up and bring it down. That's right. Hody, Hody still remembers the blanket days on when we you guys came into my house right here at the studio, and uh, you know Harry would have to have a blanket on because it was so cold in here because I like it frigid. And uh, Jason Doolittle graciously sent a blanket to you, Harry, for the show, but you never have been to my house. Since that that blanket arrived, and it has been uh, it, it, it has uh, been conquered, uh, or shall I say, colonized by the little one, and that is her favorite blanket. <laughs> Just so she stole she stole the black man's resources. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. That yeah. went the direction I didn't see coming. <laughs> well, this show's gonna be wild. Reinhold, how are you doing this week? I'm doing all right. Um, Having a having a fun up and down swings of moods this week. But All right, good. Me too. I'm really I'm really pissed off today, so it's going to be quite the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, Remzo is here, uh, host of On the Run on the We Are Libertarians Network. Uh, one of the most valuable assets. You guys have to listen to the the On the Run show. Remzo's show is so fun and so well done. And uh, you know the We Are Libertarians Network. We, we have a lot of fun and a lot of weird shit, and Rimzo makes up 95% of the weird shit. I agree. <laughs> well, <laughs> give, us a, give us a couple examples of what you've talked about recently on the show. Oh, man, where do we start? This is about to get X-rated. We talked about the time I went to go speak at a panel for, uh, for Freedom Fest in 2017 on the Las Vegas Strip. And I almost ended up on InfoWars. I met a guy who thought he was Batman, and I ended up pissing off the entire Las Vegas Taco Bell. And I was almost mugged. And I saw some midget strippers fight. That was all within like a 10-minute monologue on one episode of the show. You could find it on the run. But uh, no, I mean, I guess I'm the only one in a good mood. But before the show started, when you went off to to go do 
you know, fiance things, Chris, um, Harry Reinhold and I were talking about what we were going to do for the pool party next month. And, you know, Harry and I are pretty much, you know, Aldi partisans. So we're going to be bringing that awesome $8 blueberry wine. But, you know, Reinhold had to go ahead and say Kroger's where it's at. And it's just like, okay, you can go ahead and bring the Kroger stuff. Do they sell wine at Kroger? Yes, they sell. Well, they sell like like clothing now. I mean, it's like Walmart in there, but the Kroger by May. Kroger's evolving. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah, it's gonna be lit. Reinhold, uh, will you do shots with me? Rit- uh, I would love to do shots with you. I just I will have to be a designated driver though, so I don't know if I'll be able to. It's okay. We'll fix that. We'll find some person on on the side of the road in Indy, and we'll be like, "Hey, man, you want to sit around and eat food? You just can't drink as long as you could drive this guy back." Yeah, can drive me back. We'll make an it, hour we'll make it work. We'll make it work. If he's homeless, where else does he have to go? Because if if I if I go, because I still have I still have some issues, I may not be able to make it. But if I do come, it's probably going to be with the wife in tow. So. Okay. No! So thoughts are happening. Boo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I have to, I have drive, to quibble so. with this. Uh, you know, Hody Johns, host of Enemy of My Enemy here on the network, said Rin Mazzo is the funniest guy in the Liberty Movement, and I don't know that it's particularly close. I have one of the top <laughs> comedy podcasts in the Pat Down in the world, and I think I'm the funniest libertarian podcaster by a long shot. So. Rimzo. We all tell each other lies. Yeah, okay. no, I, I, Rimzo uh, is very, very funny. Uh, you, you had a, a blog. What's your website? Your Substack? Oh, Remso.substack.com. Uh, and you had a title that made me laugh out loud last week, and I forget which one it was. But I oh, saw Space it. Force finds thirty kilos of cocaine on turtle. <laughs> <laughs> that was real. Yeah. You don't need to make stuff up when reality is just as shocking. Uh, it's very funny so all the best comedy podcasts all the funny libertarian podcasters are here on the we are libertarians network uh by a long shot so anyways i uh, let's let's jump into it i don't want to do this show because the culture war stuff like i admit it politics is different than when i got into it it's evolved i've been in it 20 years i've been doing this show 10 years and I was in politics 10 years before I started this show, like, which makes you upset because you realize you're getting so old. I'm almost 40 now. And so it's like the culture war stuff has become – hold on. My co-producer is asking – you want cheese? You want your orange juice? It's right there, literally right there. There you go. Uh, <laughs> I hope someone is screenshotting this and making memes as they come. It's. Uh, I apologize. We're, you know, we're all just sitting here and – Sometimes she just runs up and starts demanding things like cheese and and Peppa. So um, w- we have a, a one-room luxury apartment we're all in right now. Um, so the, the culture war stuff has kind of reached a point where it is politics, uh, and I hate it, and I, I don't think that it is politics, and I think that politics has evolved from something where you know, when I first got in and you'd read political media like National Review, um, uh, you know, Vox didn't exist yet, but like left leaning thing, like everybody talked a lot about pol- policy. There wasn't a lot of like culture talk and, you know, culture, the, the culture war stuff. Like there was a little bit of it with like Bush 2004, but it's just not like now where politics is largely a vehicle for people to grow their social media and podcasts and um, you look at a guy like Mason Crawthorn the guy from um, uh, Virginia no or I don't know Madison Cawthorn from North Carolina thank you yes 
He literally doesn't have a policy staff. He just hired a, a comm staff. He's on Fox News every night. Jim Banks, congressman from Indiana, a guy that when he was in the state Senate would come and meet with the Libertarian Party of Indiana and say, I want to I want to understand why you think what you do. Is there anything that uh, I could help further in the legislature? He'd meet with Democrats. He'd meet with Republicans. He'd meet with independents, media. He was known as a very conciliatory, thoughtful person. Um, now he's on Fox News every night talking about how the military is being taken over by critical race theory and is full on Trump because he wants to run for governor of Indiana and knows that comms is the best way to do it as opposed to being a policy wonk. The policy wonks are leaving. So our mm-hmm. politics has devolved in the social media era from uh, – l- listen, I'm not under any illusion nor am I saying that politics was ever anything other than a predatory practice to s- extract from the populace political power to enrich themselves. Um, but there was at least some gloss on, and truth in the public service idea and that has completely been erased and it now is just full on gangsterism uh you know it's 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 it, it probably if you had been in politics in the 60s and then you were in the 90s you think the same thing if you're in the in politics in the 90s in the 2000s you thought the same thing right like so it just progressively keeps getting more predatory and worse um but this is the era we're in politics is the best way to uh grow your media brand um, and the court, culture war stuff drives clicks. I guarantee when we go back and we look at the downloads six months from now, critical race theory explained will be far more downloaded than why is my deck so expensive and talking about inflation? Because the truth is you people fucking love this crack. You want it. You want us to feed you Britney Spears being Hashtag free Britney. Absolutely. Like if you, yeah, hundred percent on that one. We are going to do a show on Britney Spears, not because it's good for SEO, but because it is a great example of the courts over ruling someone's life, not letting her take out an IUD so she can get pregnant. For instance, how is that? That's not freedom. That's not liberty. That's predatory. Again, so um, we are not doing this show because we want to feed you that cotton candy that everybody loves. We're doing this show because everybody's talking about it. And Remzo and Reinhold are probably going to be on different sides on this stuff. Uh, and I'm probably more on the side with Reinhold. But we're going to we're gonna have a discussion that is reasonable, rational, thoughtful, trying to give the best def- definitions. And because we're going to be respectful and balanced, we're going to piss everybody off because that's the most radical position you can have in 2021 is a centrist, moderated, well-thought-out position. So, uh, if you want to make everyone mad, just be fair. Now, let's talk about what critical race theory is. Uh, I think. And before we start, I just want to say one thing. Yes. None of us are experts on critical race theory. I literally have studied a week on it. I haven't looked yep. it up. And I'll be honest, the only people I ever see talking about critical race theory are a bunch of old white guys mm-hmm. that say other racist shit. So right. 99% of the people talking about it in on news media and Fox and all that stuff, they're not experts either. Most of them don't know a thing about it. So. Yeah, I, I, I just to me, it is another one of these moral panics that the right especially seems to get themselves into. But when you look at the lockdowns and, and COVID over the last year, the left has plenty of them. Uh, you know, a moral panic 
Um, let me just pull up the definition for you so you can read it because once you hear this term and start applying it to your media diet, you will never, ever look away. You'll never see things the same way. And we, we try to uh, take things through this lens of what a moral panic is. Uh, Wikipedia defines it as a moral panic is a widespread feeling of fear, often an irrational one, that some evil person or thing threatens the values, interest, or well-being of a community or society. Some moral panics can become embedded in a standard political discourse, which include concepts such as a red scare and terrorism. Uh, so we have a lot. Just look up the term and really like dive into it because it is, uh, especially in an era dominated by political uh, by public opinion, and this is one of the downsides of liberal democratic capitalism is that it is more governed by public opinion and media than other other forms of government. Um, I still think it's the best we're going to do, uh, but. I know that a lot of libertarians are starting to disagree with me on that, and that's okay, but I'm not giving in. Um, liberalism for all. So, but moral panics are, uh, what we're going to try to do is not feed into that and the whole they're coming to get you bullshit. Because that's what I see when I see Christopher Rufo, who basically like decided this was going to be his shtick, and this is how he was going to make a paycheck. And really, like, pushed this into the public sphere and is on a million podcasts on the right in the Republican world talking about this CRT stuff. Um, and the way that he talks about it is, I think, detached from the way that, that you know, Remzo prepared some notes for us today. And, like, once you hear it, you're going to hear the definition and go, all right, there's some things in here I agree with, some things I don't agree with, uh, as opposed to if you let your children talk about racism, they're going to uh, become flaming pink-haired liberals and they're all going to take over. And you're, it's, a, it's the same moral panic that I saw when I got into the Republican Party in 2002. There has always been around education, and it's not an, an inaccurate thing, uh, a, a special sensitivity and panic, and every few years there's a new thing. You know, there were problems with Common Core, but the way that Glenn Beck talked about it was just so over the top and like, you know, which is why people paid attention to it because of the drama. So this to me, the the CRT stuff, I think, is um, I'll let I'll let you guys when you hear critical race theory, what you think about, then we'll talk about what it is and then we'll talk about the consequences when I hear or see my boomer white friends on Facebook talking about critical race theory I see them panicking that their kids are going to learn some things that they may not have heard before that are true, like the Tulsa race massacre, and then realize, mm, maybe I ought to be more sensitive to black people, and then they might start thinking their parents are racist. Like, it's almost like a, I don't want my parents, I don't want my kids to see that some of the shit that I talk about is is racist and insensitive. So it it is a tool to basically stay comfortable. It's I don't have to talk about race. I don't have to listen to other people's feelings about race or other people's true experiences. I don't have to deal with that because they've been propagandized by critical race theory. Harry, what do you hear when you hear critical race theory? Well, see, the thing is, um, well, I see it in two different ways. When I first hear about it, uh, I, I had that at first, um, my first, like, catching it is that moral panic stuff because that's what you heard about it it's like like oh yeah you should be afraid of this thing and when you actually like start delving into it 
is there some people that take it in a different uh, in a, in a issue in a different light? Yeah, but I also I always like I think people are missing the boat on it. I think this is a great discussion on on actually how to actually def- define terms and to go through things in the legal framework that are just built and or that are built in race uh, that built races. It's, it's it's great way to describe and go after different things and or pointing at things that are like when someone was like, hey, can you point out systematic racism? I was like, I sure can. Using critical race theory, you can point out these things. So you see it as a paradigm or like a tool to evaluate and and criticize government and and its relationship with people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, now, not, is that so, yeah. Is that the initial like response of the people who created the thing? Oh, hell no, no. Sure, no, no. Doing what I want to do with it is no, no, no. But when I took the light of, I was like, sweet, this is awesome. I can finally easily be able to describe what my hatred for Planned Parenthood and other and other institutions the, the, the government has put on and has done to the black community. Uh, Michael says the same kind of moral panic as those who try to smear the Mises Caucus with the Nazi label. Yeah, but also. Be more anti-Nazi, and maybe you wouldn't be smeared that way. So just, I'm in a bad mood today, Reinhold. Go ahead. So what do you think when you hear it? When I hear critical race theory, you, um, so when whenever I, I talk to anybody about it or I hear about it on the news, it's way different than when I read into, okay, let me look at the documentation. What are the, what are the course notes that they're doing? What is it? So when I first hear about critical race theory, I heard, oh, they're teaching this stuff to five- and six-year-olds. No, they're not. That's not what's happening. The critical race theory is taught in a college level or higher, and it's usually around law. Um, and and when you look at what criti- the definition of critical race theory is, I'm like, yep, yep, I agree with that. I agree with that. That's true. We know this is true. We know that's true. And it really is more just codifying um, the fact that sy- systemic racism is in. So what I hear is a lot of people afraid that if we talk about this this way, using these terms and the and and this thought process, that somehow they're going to be labeled as racist and they're going to be punished for stuff that they had nothing to do with, and that's not the point. But that's the fear of it. Yeah, and that's it, when you it, get it, into. And I'm not going to say that it isn't. Uh, it's seen as a Trojan horse to socialism, and I'm not yeah. going to say that it isn't that, uh, because I think when you look well, at the motivation, like Harry said, when you look at the motivations of this stuff, there is, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 conversation about race, the people who push forward the conversation about race. Martin Luther King was this way, right? And and this has not changed really. Like Martin Luther King, Jr. was. Uh, towards the end especially saying you can't fundamentally change the relationship between whites and blacks without changing the economic system and i don't agree with that uh and that is still held a held opinion by a lot of people who who are on the left that talk about this stuff and i feel like remzo you know there's a a, a fear that if we give in inch they're going to take a mile and people are uncomfortable with kind of having this conversation because they're going to be forced to do something, you know, when I don't see it that way. How do you see it when we talk about critical race theory? Did you ever see that movie, Wag the Dog? Yeah, I actually just watched it three days ago. It okay, is great. It's, it's ironic you bring it up. Have yeah. you guys seen that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that film as an example for a lot of things. Honestly, I think it's one of the greatest you know, political commentaries ever done in film. So I'm going to use that. When when you're talking about propaganda, it is master, a masterpiece. So yes, watch wag the dog, but explain what it is, please. First. 
Yeah, Wag the Dog is basically about a presidential administration that is basically going in the tanks right before an election. So what they try and do is they literally like one, they they fake a war in a country that nobody really has any contact with. And then what they do is they throw out all this other stuff to go ahead and distract people from the fact that the president might be a criminal. And it's part comedy. It's it's part, you know, drama, but it's a good film. And I, I use that film as an example for a lot of things. So throughout this conversation, I'm going to ask the viewer the question, who wags the dog? Does the tail wag the, I mean, does the dog wag the tail or does the tail wag the dog? When I look at critical race theory, I see a, a bad curriculum. And I see that the syllabi that are being applied by teachers from um, the high school level onward to the undergrad level and, you know, post-grad level, it's it's done in a way which is not only bad for education purposes, but it's also just based on um, very ill-defined social theory that is being pushed in order to propagate an ulterior motive. Now, I, I want to go ahead and talk about this because I hate it when let, I let see me, people on me, TV. Let me stop you right there, okay? Yeah. Because I think you just highlighted a difference between our three opinions and your opinion. And there, and this is a, a difference that I see between people who exist in a more mainstream media outlet or who are just disconnected from news and media completely and people who are in a right-wing media ecosystem you have a very defined view of it, that it's curriculum, whereas I think what we said is like it's almost like a worldview, and the people that we see talking about it on social media because we're not engaging in the conversation, it seems like panic. That, so, okay, does the dog wag the tail or does the tail wag the dog? What do you That's mean? That's a prime example. Explain that further. So, so a lot of people are looking at critical race theory from what they think it is and what they feel it is versus what the defined actual version of it is. So we're looking at the intentions versus the application and what's going to drive something success, the intention or the application, because many bad policies get put out in the business world and in politics because the intention is good. Right. Uh, Let's talk Patriot Act. Who's against patriotism? But when you look at it, the application is horrifying and vice versa. So does the dog wag the tail or does the tail wag the dog? Um, I want to go ahead and just talk about myself for a second because I feel like this is kind of important. Uh, A lot of people talking about it as experts have never read the syllabi that are being applied by teachers. They've never read the history of critical race theory and they don't look at the core curricula. Uh, contrary popular belief, before I became the moron on Twitter that everyone loves, I was actually trying to get into the world of professional policy analysis. I actually cut my teeth doing education reform blogs during the Common Core era. That's how I kind of got into things. So a lot of it was doing the not very sexy work of actually going ahead and having to read the curriculums, having to look at the fundings, having to look at the syllabi and having to look at the difference in application between what is the education being put onto students and parents versus how is the schooling facilitating that certain curriculum or environment in which you're going to learn about it. So, you know, I I look at this primarily from a view of application and intention. We have to go ahead and understand that they're not mutually exclusive and that there are, you know, criticisms to both. Um, You know, this is why lost cause theory 
when you talk about history in the South and stuff like that was not a good curriculum because it's not fact-based. It's a historical skew, but it's being applied in a way which people feel is culturally relevant to them. And at the end of the day, it comes down to people wanting to push a specific view of history and societal understanding onto the most vulnerable people, which are our children who are going to these public institutions. All right. Could you like further explain like, like lost cause theory? Yeah. yeah, like lost cause theory was the theory that slavery had absolutely no part in the Civil War. And it also goes ahead and it places an emphasis on, you know, racial eugenics. The fact that you do have racially based motives that were pushing black people to do one thing and white people to do another thing. When people hear eugenics, they, they think of a lot of stuff. But really, eugenics places an emphasis on, you know, the material world, that your outward appearance, that your racial heritage and everything else is going to dictate actions outside of a of an understanding of free will that plays into critical race theory that plays into all of this. Whenever you look at something that tries to create different sections of people, eugenics is usually one of the most old fashioned ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The lost cause theory is like, it's also very, very important. I like to bring up once in a while because when someone is trying to talk to someone about, even like when the civil war gets mentioned, it's just like you, you have to give some empathy and forgiveness to them because they probably just don't know where that's how they were taught. Well, I mean, I also think when you look at the North, and this is coming from a Southerner, like a lot of people are talking past each other to go ahead and purport a point. Did the South have some actual grievances? Yeah. Does that excuse every bad thing they did? Absolutely not. Did the North have some grievances and otherwise? Yeah. But what we're doing is we're going ahead and crafting a system that pits people against each other through class, through nationalism, and through race. Yeah, so I, I would highly recommend uh, the documentary on PBS um, about Reconstruction. And it, it is a great look because I don't think most people... Um, uh, so James Neese wants to, to be tagged in here. So we're going we're gonna to do the uh, heavy lifting and then we'll let James Neese come in. And, and uh, d- God only knows what his opinion on all of this is. Uh, but we, you know, every like year we need to reintroduce James Neese to the audience so they understand uh, who and what he is. He's one of the co-founders of 4chan. Uh, so that that Reconstruction documentary talks, and this is kind of at the heart of a lot of this, is that people, uh, you know, if you talk to people who are 20 years old and grew up in the South, and they they don't know what was in that documentary about, you know. Reconstruction and the uh, a thousand black elected officials right after the Civil War and then how that led to by 1960, there wasn't a black person registered to vote in the South and the, the, the legal steps that that were put in place and the lost cause theory was a lot of the propagandistic underpinnings of allowing a lot of this to happen. And it is the idea that the South, like Remzo said, there are some things that uh, were uh, um, uh, how how'd you put it that they had grievances grievances right yep. but there there's also uh, the fact that you can't ignore that they participated in the greatest oppression of people within the United States within this country in in history I mean it was tyrannical and oppressive and it seems like if you say that out loud it is offensive even in libertarian circles for whatever reason. Um, like why we're arguing about Juneteenth being a national holiday, I'll never understand that. Like it's a, it is a moment of liberation, and we should put s- slavery in its proper place. But when you've never been taught about the oppression of slavery, 
and the North was participating in the oppression of blacks in the South, of slaves at the time, because the only thing that Northerners knew about slavery was what they had been told by Southerners, that this is good for them. This is, you know, they, they just don't have all their faculties. They're not real people. They, they have been, uh, if we allow them to be liberated, they're just not going to, we need them to be supported. And so this is just really good for them. And then when you had Union soldiers march down into the South and witness what was happening, they were the first ones to turn against slavery, and they were writing letters back home going, this is oppressive, this is horrible, and the people in the North didn't believe it. Like, read about Abraham Lincoln's yep. views on slavery and, and, before he became president, until he witnessed the bravery of black soldiers in the war. Like, th that fundamentally changed him because he had an experience and got different information. And that yep. lost cause myth floats all the way through Jim Crow, Still, some of it persists today, this idea of inferiority, this idea of the, the four different stereotypes, the, um, you know, the, 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 lost, the, the lost cause um, mythology specifically, and, and this documentary talks about the lost cause textbooks, that basically the fight over textbooks in the early 1900s, late 1800s, about how we would talk about slavery, how we would talk about the Civil War, how we would talk about the South, was one of the hottest fights in the early 1900s. And that continues today. That's a lot of what we're talking about today. The difference now is we have the Internet. Go ahead, Rimzo. Yeah, so I mean, I bring that up specifically because if you don't like lost cause theology and stuff like that. And I use the term theology specifically because it's almost taken on the, the proponents. I'm sorry. It's taken on the, the factors that you would tie with a religion or a cult. If you don't like that, you're not going to like critical race theory. And, and we can, we can start getting into some of that. Why, why is that? Um, because what you're doing is you're trying to shift history through the lens of a worldview perspective and what happens in education is that you very rarely have competing theories discussed in the classroom. That's done very intentionally. And it used to be we're going to put kids through K through 12 public education. They're going to learn the foundations, reading, writing, math, a little bit of history. Then what they're going to do is they're going to go to the universities if they choose to. And what they're going to be you know, exposed to are competing theories. It's like we don't teach creationism in schools. We teach the theory of evolution. Why? Because there's an appeal to authority because the people who go ahead and design the core curricula have basically said that this is a theory, but this is the only theory you really need to read. When I was in high school, I took AP environmental science. Ironically, believe it or not, at one point I thought I wanted to be an environmental science lawyer or environmental law lawyer. And, um, you know, we spent almost an entire semester looking at global warming and man-made climate change theory. And then we spent one week literally four school days talking about the counter theory to that, that man is not responsible for climate change. One week, if you're going to give a balanced approach to things, you don't spend the entire semester on one theory and then give a week to that. But then again, a lot of it was politically motivated because I looked at the syllabi that my teacher developed. I look at the curriculum that the school district approved. And I looked at the core curricula behind the science that we were being taught. And a majority of it was what I call scientific propaganda. 
So if you want your children to be exposed to things by adapting these different curriculums in, you're not getting a broader perspective. You are literally replacing one for another. That's how it works every time. But the right, critical race the, theory is only going to be one of these things. We're going to have another discussion about this a few years from now on something else. The The reality, though, is like Escalja says here, conflate theory and hypothesis. One has evidence and the other isn't. The problem that we have always seemed to have with the right is that when you look at the history of right-leaning media, it is there to take an oppositional approach to whatever the, the, the conventional wisdom is as a means of profit. And so the, my, my issue with a lot of this stuff is that they're often as unreliable as the mainstream media because the mainstream media does the same thing, right? Like, so when you look through history, there's a great book called Buckley. It's by Carl Bogus. It's about National Review and the the conservative movement before him and his building of National Review. And you see the the impulse to go into theories that have just been proven to be untrue um, because it was standing against the world athwart uh, what, what's the phrase Reinhold standing athwart history and shouting stop, right? So. When you talk about, like, I believe in creationism. I mean, so, you know, I also see intelligent design and evolution as complementary to each other. I would love that to be taught. Um, and I think the, the, the reality is that that's never going to be taught in public schools, which is an argument against public schools. When you look at the way that I learned about history, I grew up going to St. Augustine, Florida. It is the longest-running con contiguous city in America. It was founded by the Spanish in 1568. It uh, was inhabited by the Timuca. Uh, I think it's Timuca. I just can't say it the right way. Uh, I'm not going to try. Right. When I grew up going twice a year to St. Augustine, visiting every single one of the museums, reading history about St. Augustine, being absolutely obsessed from it from five years old, I never learned about the Timuca. I never learned about the absolute massacres that took place in St. Augustine. And in a lot of ways, I'm going to eventually do a podcast about this, is that it is, it is American history, right? Only now are they starting to do research and study the indigenous people that inhabited northeastern Florida before the Spanish arrived. The, the history of St. Augustine, as presented by the city, as presented by experts on it, never delved into Fort Mose which was a free black fort where escaped slaves would, would escape down into Florida, inhabit this, and fought for the liberty of St. Augustine. Um, the, the indigenous people were there. It was never discussed. And so I went back for the first time after a decade last year, and I remember kind of feeling like, not lied to, but cheated in a way. Like I had only been presented the European history of that city and it had a much richer history, and it had a much more complicated history of murder, of victories, of failures, of just people. Like, people are people, right? Like, and so I, I, I guess maybe at this point we should define what critical race theory is because I think it, it sort of takes that complicated experience that I've had with St. Augustine and tries to put it into a framework Let's define the term and then continue this conversation, Rimzo. So 
tell us what critical race theory was meant to be, not what it is widely understood to be today. Yeah, before we do that, I want to find two words. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say history and I'm going to say social studies, and I don't mean the same thing. By history, what we're looking at is the hard evidence, actual documentation from the era and understanding of the context, the actual evidence of the account of which it happens, and no one disputes. Social studies is how we view history from a certain perspective. So I've got that out there. And the uh, definition I went ahead and pulled up is from Encyclopedia Britannica. I'm going to go ahead and give Chris um, an, a better outline of the show notes because mine look like, you know, I, I did them at midnight. So you can go ahead and click on the links and look at this yourself. When did you do them? Taking it. Don't worry about that. That's not the point. Um, so critical race theory is defined by uh, Encyclopedia Britannica is an intellectual movement and it's loosely organized framework of legal analysis based on the premise that race is not natural biologically grounded feature of physically distinct subgroups of humans, but a socially constructed category that is used to oppress and exploit people of color. Critical race theorists hold that the law and legal institutions in the United States are inherently racist insofar that they function to create and maintain social, economic, and political inequalities between whites and non-whites, especially African-Americans. So that is the definition of CRT from Encyclopedia Britannica. And what part of that do you have a problem with? What we're going to get into is the intention behind the history of its creation and then the application. And what they're basically doing, like any other theory, is they're they're coming up with the argument of which the worldview is constructed. So right there, I've got some problems with the worldview construction of that. But that right there is just the definition. So if we want to go ahead and look at the history of it, yeah, and I'm going to jump through this. Yeah, its immediate precursor was critical legal studies movement, which dedicated itself to examining how law and legal institutions serve the interests of the wealthy and powerful at the expense of the poor and marginalized. Where have we heard that before? We're going to get to that in a second. Uh, every every Most libertarian uh, discussion. Every libertarian <laughs> so, podcast I've ever crony heard. Cap, yeah, <laughs> crony crap capitalism. We've got uh, the, 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 the power Mises of the caucus, government. Like. It's to the people. I mean, this is, this is stuff that's you look at and you can see is reality. So I don't so, know why people have a problem. With it. So the, what, the problem, what, the problem what, is, before, is that before you just keep going, let, let me go ahead and just finish that part because I, I know what you think I was going to say. What I was going to go ahead and say was it's establishing classism as the basis. So CLS is an offshoot of Marxist oriented critical theory that was developed by Karl Marx. It may also be viewed as a radicalization of early 20th century legal realism, a school of legal philosophy, according to which judicial decision making, especially at the appellate level, is influenced by much non-legal factors such as, you know, cronyism, corruption, ideologies, all those factors as preceding principles of legal reasoning. Like CLS scholars, critical race theorists believe that political liberalism and understand when they say political liberalism, they're talking classical Jeffersonian legalism was incapable of adequately addressing fundamental problems of injustice in American society. So right there, what they're doing is they're establishing what is the main basis of this? It's classism. What are they saying is the root of it? The root of it is corruption. And despite all the best of the institutions, you can't do anything about it. Then they're pointing out the common fallacy of the ally, which is classical liberalism, which is participating in civil society, which is doing things outside of the realm of the state, and especially by use of coercion and violence. And, and it keeps going. But right now, what we're beginning to see is the framework of which they're identifying the problem. 
They're identifying the perpetuating factors, and then they're identifying the inherent weaknesses in other groups. So, so, so would you argue? First, l- first of all, hold on, Reinhold. So, would you say that the they've diagnosed the problem correctly, but they have outlined the they have diagnosed that government that the wealthy do take advantage of the marginalized. The wealthy do have access to power and use it for their interest in a way that our smaller networks of power cannot compete with. I think most people listening to this program have that same thought pattern, you know, um, and that when you look at the majority, look at the drug war, for instance, most libertarians look at the drug war and see imbalances in its application in communities of color versus its impact on white suburban kids. Right. So, but they're diagnosing, so I understand it correctly, they're diagnosing that the political system of liberalism, i.e. libertarianism and individualism, is the cause of those imbalances as opposed to to uh, the libertarian critique would be that we're not free enough, that we don't have enough individualism, whereas they see it as the fundamental problem. These authors. Yes. Okay. Reinhold, go ahead. Okay. First of all, scare word Marxism. Marx had a lot of theories. It wasn't just one big thing. A lot of the stuff that he talked about is socialism, is, is not socialism, but um, sociology and how so society works and functions together. Things that we all know is to be true, that we have seen and, and work. So there are basis and parts of Marxism, as it were, the things that Marx wrote about that we also know in sociology and throughout history have found out to be true. So there is classism within the the society that we have. It has been that way for a long time and trying to steer people away from seeing that because it might be Marxist is scare tactics that I see all the time. Everybody keeps talking about this is based in Marxism. It's, it's not based in the, the fundamentals of, the political side of Marxism, it's based on the sociological side that a lot of people still agree with today. And so let me right? put that in other words, Dan Reinhold, where whereas uh, this, go, this goes back to Thomas Sowell's conflict of visions, whereas a, a person who generally believes in Marxist theory thinks that we can eradicate class warfare, that we can all try to become more equal, that we ought to or at least try to be cognizant <laughs> that this class warfare exists and minimize it i (laughs) and a lot of libertarians look at it and say you can't change that fundamental truth of human nature you can only design a system within that truth it's as immutable as gravity and so you need to find ways to encourage people to become part of the upper classes you need upward mobility and you need to design systems that encourage the more people aka 90 since 1990 global poverty has been cut in half thanks to liberal democratic capitalism um is that fair to say is that a fair uh, a restatement of what you just said basically yeah i mean the idea that um so there are some theories within critical race theory that liberalism can't solve the issue by itself like there's there's something else that needs to be done some way to look at it but that doesn't it doesn't necessarily say that's not the it's the only way or this is this is the uh you can't do any kind of but it's also very critical of a lot of left-leaning elites too right 
I mean, there's a there's a syllabus out there right now. What's it called? Uh, uh, one of the one of the classes legitimizing race discrimination through uh, anti discrimination law critical review. So that's looking at how anti discrimination laws are perpetuating discrimination, right? And and that's something I think we all agree with. So there are aspects of the critical race theory that we really um, as libertarians embrace because it's looking at the systems of things that are, that are happening inside of a, of a state environment of a government and laws. I don't like the government because it, it poorly impacts marginalized people. The trickle down Mm -hmm. economics of Joe Biden by sucking up more of our tax money. It doesn't trickle down to the people who need it the most. It trickles to the people who have the most power, who have the networks of influence. Um, So, uh, you know, I would, I would say, say Aaron says, and this is, hold on, this is a fundamental misunderstanding of, of Reinhold. Reinhold doesn't think there's anything wrong with critical race theory because he doesn't really understand what it is. It sounds like you know exactly what it is. You've just actually looked at it without the hysteria of thinking that these people are going to that that they have the power to take you over and have their way with you. Like I just feel like a lot of the reaction to this is like a feeling of powerlessness from individuals on the right as opposed to like stepping up and saying I'm going to out-argue. I'm going to out-organize. I'm going to, instead of, like, I'm just going to bitch about it on Twitter. Like, it, go so ahead. I think I think the perfect example and what we're talking about, you, you mentioned before the drug war. So, yeah, the drug war is uh, badly implemented. It's applied in a very uh, negative way towards marginalized uh, parts of society because that was, uh, and this is where we get into critical race theory because we now know that the whole drug war that Nixon started was done specifically, <laughs> specifically to disrupt black communities. Right. And that's how it was implemented. And then that's how it continues to be implemented. It was based off of a racist implementation. That's the basic idea between, behind critical race theory is examining these laws and these institutions. Why are they treating? Why is the effect of the laws and the institutions that we have today in society, why are they harming marginalized parts of society? Could it be racism? This and is let's um, go look and see if it is. Apply it, and then determine from there if there's anything we can do about it. It's not about trying to say white people are bad. It's not trying to say that uh, we should punish all the white people and give all the money from the white people to the black people. It is nothing about that. It's not about instituting Marxist ideology in a political sense. Uh, There's no way that this country is ever going to be uh, um, socialist. It's it's not going to happen. So let me – Tom Lobianco, reporter that I know, met a lot of times here in Indy, worked for AP, had him on the show to talk about Mike Pence uh, last year. Um, He is highlighting here in this article, report, AIDS says Nixon's war on drugs targeted blacks and hippies. Uh, Harper's in 1993 or 94, John Ehrlichman was the chief of staff. Ehrlichman and Haldeman were like the two guys for Nixon. God, Um, I need glasses. uh, Yeah, so the Nixon campaign in 1968, says John Ehrlichman, and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people, the former Nixon domestic policy chief said. You understand what I'm saying. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black, but by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and blacks with heroin, 
and then criminalizing both heavily. We could disrupt these communities, Ehrlichman said. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about drugs? Of course we did. That's straight from the horse's mouth, and that's that's part of what libertarians fight again. It's that you know you hear uh, uh, boomer conservatives talk about the black family. Well, they voted for Nixon, <laughs> right? Like they they contributed to that. Um, now let me let me say this. I know we got to have Harry jump in. I think you're being naive, Reinhold, when you say that there aren't people that that the the, the, the driving theory. Maybe your intention is not to bring about a Marxist society. Maybe your intention is not to, um, uh, to, to the, the idea of the oppressor and the oppressed. I'm going to let Ryan, uh, uh, Remzo talk about that next part, and then we finish the definition. Um, but the intention, Remzo, for some people, I, here's what you have to understand about politics. The opposition is always right about you. It doesn't matter what the opposition is. There are elements of what the opposition is saying about what you're presenting that is true. You know, if the Mises caucus is mad that they look like Nazi sympathizers, there's an element of that that is true, but it is not fully true, right? Like there is elements of the 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 uh, the Prags look like they're hysterical all the time about the the Nazis and the Mises caucus, and they're overblowing it. That is true, right? There are always elements of of truth in criticism, and what becomes the the conventional wisdom. You have to take that in, change and grow, and tweak your strategy right so Remzo, there is an element of critical race theory in its design and and the design not the application the design that is to bring about a fundamental change to the liberal order of society is there not I, i i will i will answer your question with a question chris since you and i both have a christian worldview ourselves and individuals when the when satan quoted scripture did he misconstrue the words no he he asked questions about it and had different tweaks to it right yeah so 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 to accommodate your point yeah there's always a little bit of truth to that but the truth and the intention are always going to be used as a mechanism for change and that's a political tool it's neither good nor bad it's a political tool the intention behind it is ultimately what goes ahead and brings about um the changes but i mean i will disagree with reinhold on one thing when you look at the praxology of marxism uh let's go ahead and look at the people that created the core curricula in which crt is developed it's richard D, uh Delgado and uh, Gene Stefanik, they are Marxists. Like when when they say it goes back to Marxism, what they did in 2000 with their book, Critical Race Theory and Introduction, they rooted it back in Marxism. And when we look at the classist structure of Karl Marx, I mean, what we need to understand is that Marxism basically, well, it doesn't imply, it states that class is permanent. There is no up and down ladder in the social or economic order. Class is class and class is never going to change. Now, class Structure is what we see every day. Lower class, middle, middle, uh, you know, the, the middle class, the upper class. But in a liberal society, we can move up and down that based off our actions and sometimes things outside of our control. No one will argue that. But that's the thing. They go back to that Marxist route, which is through, through the sociological application of which you can never change it yourself. And then through the political application, which means only the state can go ahead and do it. Now, let's go ahead and look at the tenets. And all these tenets are going back to the core curricula. Now, you have core curricula, which is established at conferences when all these people develop basically the outlines of what's going on. You have curriculums, which are tweaked versions of that that go for wider school districts. 
And then you have syllabi, which are typically assigned by the teacher themselves. They go ahead and they learn their class and they go ahead and bring in different books and they might look at different movies and stuff like that. So there's the order in which it's distilled down. But that is the basis of which everything funnels through. Now, Critical Race Theory, an introduction, first published in 2001, was done by legal scholars Richard Delgado, one of the founders of CRT uh, during the, the civil rights era through the 60s and 70s, and Gene Stefanik. And what they discuss are general propositions they claim would be accepted by many critical race theorists, despite the considerable variation in belief among certain members. That's where you get the changes as everyone wants to apply it in different ways. The, the core tenets are basically this. One, race is socially constructed, not biologically natural. Two, racism in the United States is normal, but not aberrational. It is common, ordinary experience that most people of color are going to encounter. And three, owing to what critical race theorists call interest conversions or material determinism, those are both Hegelian dialects, which, reads, which goes back to Karl Marx, um, you know, legal advances for people of color tend to serve the interests of dominant white groups. Thus, the racial hierarchy that characterizes American society may be unaffected or even reinforced by ostensible, I don't even know what that word means, I'll admit that, improvements in the legal status of oppressed or exploited people. Point four, member of minority groups periodically undergo differential racialism or attribution to them varying sets of negative stereotypes. It's basically stereotyping. The stereotypes will change because of society changing. I know that much. Again, depending on needs or interests of whites. So basically what white people need them to be, they will be, or vice versa. You can go ahead and stick your different groups there. And then five, according to the thesis of intersectionality or anti-essentialism, no individual, no individual can be adequately identified by membership in a single group, i.e. an African-American person, for example, might also identify as a woman, a lesbian, a feminist, a Christian, so on. And then finally, the voice of color thesis. And this is the one that I think a lot of like, th this is the one thing where when the right wingers go ahead and scream that this is going to make kids uncomfortable. This is I think this is the primary part of it. The legal color thesis holds that people of color are uniquely qualified to speak on behalf of other members of their groups and subgroups regarding the forms and effects of racism. This consensus has led to the growth of legal storytelling which is a movement which argues that self-expressed views of victims of racism and other forms of oppression provide essential insight into the, nat into the nature of the legal system. When we hear that today, it's uh, the, the life experience. It's, well, you know, you don't go ahead and talk about this because you've been somebody that's benefited from this, so therefore you can't talk and let somebody else talk. It gets really muddied and complicated I, there. But those I are the points. I completely disagree with that, first of all. Um, First one I want to do is I want to go through these points. Which of these points do you disagree with? Let's start at number one. Is that something you disagree with? Let me pull it up. Race is socially constructed. No. Okay. What about point two? Uh, racism in the United States is normal. I won't say it's normal because I, I, don't, think think normal. They, I don't think they define it as that. I don't think most people are racist. And when you look at the define term racism... I'll, I'll define racism. Racism is an explicit hatred of people based off non-controllable factors. And that goes counter to point one, which is if it's socially constructed, then you can control it. You can't control no, your race. That's the problem. So it's not it's not a hatred. Racism is just prejudging somebody based off factors that they don't control. 
But then again, it goes to things outside of race. It goes towards religion. It goes towards, well, there's, religion, there's all it goes kinds towards of, a lot of things. Right. There's all kinds of bigotry, which is treat, treating somebody based off of other factors that way. So somebody's somebody's gender, it, that's a, and there's another word for that, right? So there's other words for those specific instances of bigotry. Racism is just one of those that is defined by a person's appearance of race. And it's not necessarily their race. It's their appearance of race because it is a socially constructed um, thing. There are no real races that exist scientifically. It doesn't exist. What am I? So you are a human being. Yeah, but what's my race? You're an individual. I have no idea. And I don't care. You see me, Reinhold. What am I? <laughs> His name's I Martinez. He's that's my thing. Mexican. No, but that's what I'm saying. I, when I look at you, I don't. I don't. It doesn't affect you can, me in any you can, way. You as can far say as the word, but you can okay. say the word, Reinhold. I'm white, but ethnically, okay. would, I, would I meet the would I meet the the typical standard of whiteness? No, I'm part Asian. I'm part right. Hispanic. I'm all these things. But what what is the outward race? I'm white. It's how it is. Well, it depends. Like I said, it so depends upon passing. view and who and who de- who defines what view is what is race. What is hair? That's, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is that you're, you're going to see differences in people people have associated those with groupings and in the past those have been done so so the the reason of separating people so the argument that you two are having is basically that the the argument is that race is biological or race is cultural that it is there is no biological race i mean there's melanin harry has more melanin that's not it's not it's it's random though it's not it's yeah but harry's is technically as race but Harry's black. No, 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 Harry, you're not allowed to talk. No. White men are talking. I'm orange right now. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and and that and that's the last part that you were having a problem with on the on the list of things was that it is important to hear from the people who are victim of racism. It doesn't say that people who haven't seen or vict or been victimized of it can't talk about it. It's saying that the people who are are more important to hear from, and they should be given some sort of eminence over having that discussion right just like how we've had this whole discussion and not one time asked harry that's a good you know, point about yeah this. maybe we should do that we're, we're, maybe we should go ask harry you know what, what he thinks you're about right it. you're right we have not let we have not let our black you see what talk it, it's proven the point we we have not this let white harry... man has been speaking for harry this entire time so exactly. <laughs> after we get back from this break we're gonna let harry talk <laughs> Welcome back to the Chris Spang- I almost said the critical race theory is Spangle show. <laughs> um I've <laughs> I apologize if Harry, you were offended, but I couldn't help myself. I had to go to break before. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Harry, you know, you're always the most level-headed on the show. Uh, what, what, you know, you've just been listening. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, what, what's your, sum it up for us? Where are you at with the law? All this? First thing is, um, you'll probably never be able to time that again the way you did ever again. <laughs> uh, second, um, identifying as a god, and I don't care what you guys think. <clears throat> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the uh, all right. So 
the whole uh, I with Reinhold on that whole like the, the race is, is almost as a, is a kind of like a social construct because like the one is because when we're learning more and more about how people are move, how humans actually moving around and that race is just more of a group of individuals that lived of course a different area but always kept moving around anyways and just people just picked up uh, like different things it's it's um it, it is a different world uh, view of history and how humans are built because it's also freaking complicated uh so it's right i can understand it because like the but i prefer like, to yes, be called yes. a racial chupacabra well yeah well because like i i appreciate remzo stuff like yes he identified white because when i look at remzo i see a white guy yeah he's white passing but that's a social construct of when you sit there and go like yep white guy you know these the social term i use to describe somebody you know because like the we all know that you know especially like Rimsel probably definitely knows is that technically hispanic is is a made-up race that someone put down on a box check just to i'm so glad somebody. you said that and not latinx <laughs> oh sorry i apologize <laughs> latinx <sighs> yeah well you know, it's just the same way when someone goes to like you're like oh yeah yeah you know you know him he's mexican i'm like it's not mexicans from puerto rico and mexicans are not a race <laughs> they're more european than anything you know so but anyways but i also see where renzo's coming from because like i uh it's also because it is the syllabus on how critical theory is being applied in certain schools it's that syllabus that is coming home and these kids being at home and it's and it's this ineffective way that that, that is being taught to the taught to children um it's not like if they're actually being a taught critical race theory it is that it is sl- uh, slowly interjected like with the dogma in some of the in some uh, people's school uh, systems let me and it's hmm? l- let me ask uh, finish your point and then I, i'm gonna ask a question and we'll go towards the school stuff finish what you were well, saying sorry i would just say it, it is just how because it's uh a lot of the school systems, they're not overtly teaching critical race theory. It's not in the books. That's not what they're teaching. But it's almost wordplay because it's the adults, teachers that are going into the school system that are just kind of bringing it up or just tossing it in. It is one of those things that I think that's more of what Renzo or what the, the people like the school system. That's what I see as like the that's what the hubbub's about. Right. Yeah, and I agree that that's that's a problem that we have a lot of bad implementation that's going on. That people who have gone and got critical race theory and then have twisted in their heads, and they're trying to teach to kids, and they're trying to introduce some of these ideas to them at an earlier age than maybe they're ready for. And they're doing it wrong, yeah, but that's not- that's not critical race theory's fault. That's these people's implementation's fault, and how the school Correct. boards are handling it. Correct. It's the weird things that when you see in the school system talking about like, well, you know, like working hard and like and all this math. That's racist. Now, that's the weird. It, stuff it's the like, nut like picking that, that, that and we see it because we're closely associated with the right. It, both sides do this. Everybody talks past mm-hmm. each other. It's like it's the conversation that like Dave Smith and I had on his show. It's like I don't I don't listen to Dave Smith. I don't really know a lot of what he talks about. I just saw kind of the nut picking of his worst parts. Right. But there's mm-hmm. more to him. Like when I when you have a racist relative, yeah, that part of them is ugly, but you also have other pieces of them that you love. Like, but it's easy to pick that one part and focus on that. Like when when the right talks about Latinx or, you know, it just happened in the comments here, back to grouping. Who else uses the term AAPI besides critical theory weirdos? Asians don't even know what it means. I don't agree with that, but there is 
an element where this person, Aaron, has seen, you know, like, why, why are we identifying race? Why are we talking about race? Well, a lot of the people who are Asian want to have their voice heard and don't feel that they're represented in the broader society and the way that white culture is. But then I've the got a funny who, story, oh, Chris, real fast. OK, I'm, I'm going I'm going long here. Uh, but then, you know, white people hear that and go, well, I don't have to think about race. I don't have to think about being white. Why are you grouping me as white? Well, you've never had to think about it, which is kind of what they're saying is that, like, our cultural experiences are different. And we want you to understand in the ways that the government is is hurting us or you know but we do get lost on the latinx stuff or the slides from some presentation to kindergartners about something and then like everybody and this comes into the propagandistic part of it parents i think if you asked uh 10,000 people do you want critical race theory taught to your children the majority would say no i don't want that taught to them but if you if you said do you want like, so, you know, I learned about this uh, by reading a book by a guy who is, uh, I think it's uh, Gerald Horn, Gene Horn, uh, you know, and I never heard about Cerro Rico. Cerro Rico is Rich Mountain in Spanish, and it has like 50 tons of silver were taken out of this mine and transported back to Spain. It's in Bolivia. It is thought to be the most deadly location on Earth because millions of people took sp took silver out of this mine and it was shipped back to Spain. 85% of the silver produced in the Central Andes during this time in the 1500s came from Cerro Rico. Uh, this was a slave mine where the extraction by the Spanish took the resources of this country back to their place and left... The, the the Bolivian nation underdeveloped for many years. That that is a black mark on uh, and a complicated legacy on the history of colonialism. Do you want your kids to learn about the complicated history of colonialism and racism and Jim Crow and slavery? Most people would probably say, yes, I want them to understand these complicated themes because it helps me understand what's happening today. But people like Christopher Rufo put it into a neatly packaged thing that you, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that taught to my children. You know, and I think that's where like the um, and then the screenshots, like people are talking past each other, where if you sit, do sit down and talk to people, Harry, you go, well, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I bet if I asked my Hispanic friends, they'd think that the Latinx thing is stupid. You know, if I talk to my black friends, they don't really know what critical race theory even is, but they're, they want people to understand the complicated history of this nation. And white people, especially older white people, seem very averse to even talking about whether or not we should learn that history. Like, there's a weird, aggressive response to it, Harry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, just if you go like, I think most Hispanics are uh, people you would these to describe the group that's called Hispanic people. If you even use the word Latinx, most of them will look at you like you have a third eye. They have neither never heard that term or like, oh, just stop, just stop that. Um, the I think like what is also like spring people, especially when you bring someone in a warehouse is like the the which is the I, I think like I think the best term I've ever heard is called like the Afro. 
Caribbean things like the like these are black people who, who speak Spanish or for the Caribbean who identify more with the Latino community than they will ever with the American black community. You know, it just yeah, I mean, it, you it's these terms that a lot of people use for a lot of these racists just you know they they're just used to help identify the group people's brains hum, the human brain is lazy it likes to make um stereotypes because it likes to put things in boxes if you don't think your brain does this or you think you're uh, absurd from this go ahead and think of your drive home your commute your hour commute you will not remember half the roads you that you did you'll just honestly go on an autopilot forget the majority of it and somehow end up at your doorstep you your it's brain compresses your brain, your brain compresses information yeah yeah which is what yeah, wick wickender says on twitch it's easy to teach glossed over myths of history and mm -hmm. you know social history is fairly new people need to understand that like the the the, the great man theory of history let's talk about the teaching of history here Make sure you check out the history of modern politics here on the We Are Libertarians Network, hosted uh, by myself and Matt Whitliff. You know, history has typically been written by the people who were the best educated, who were in positions of power, who had the greatest wealth and could learn writing, uh, and had the means to publish their books, so their their thoughts were preserved. That's true up until the media revolution of the 20th century when you start to see in the 60s and 70s social history start to come in um which is like the the social or the people's history of the great depression we're like instead of talking about roosevelt and what he did with the great depression we're talking about how people experienced it so as the ability as the wealth in the united states has expanded to increase the ability of universities to hire people, have more diverse voices in the media, you're starting to see different experiences be be shared, right? I mm -hmm. have no problem with that. I, I don't see representation as subjugation, and I think that is sometimes a misnomer. Um, but that gets down to the fundamental question of what do we teach? Uh, what should be taught, right? Um, you know, it's, it's hard for libertarians to argue over what should be taught in public schools, Harry, because we should, why are we sending our kids to public schools? Like, but at the same time, I loved my public school education. I got a diverse, um, intellectual range of things because I was from a wealthy area. I didn't just have that compressed view of history and here's like, oh, here's what we're going to teach you about black people. It's George Washington Carver and he did the peanut and then here's some Harry and Tubman stuff. Like that's kind of what what I think a lot of people are taught and I don't, I mean, you got, like Rimzo, you tell me that doesn't seem unfair for different cultures to have their information presented in curriculums. I think you're going after what you think the intention is while ignoring what the intention actually is. And the intention spe specifically of just CRT, and let's just focus on this one thing, CRT goes ahead and it creates the compounds of religion. We can get to that later if you want. But the intention is to establish a Marxist socialist state in which classist structure is going to go ahead and decide the equity of people's lives. I disagree that just that's because what the they say, though, this, that's what they just, say, though, Reinhold, that's what they say. Just that's what's the in their own core curricula. That's what's in the curriculums that are established by the school districts. And then when you look at the syllabi, that's actually what's in the phase in the final phase of it. How do we bring about the changes? That's just what they're saying. I'm not putting words in their mouth. That's just what they themselves are saying. 
Now, Chris, to, to go to another thing, should we have an understanding of this? Absolutely. This is embarrassing, but I'll admit it. The first time I ever whole, heard about the Tulsa massacre was in 2019, yeah. watching HBO's Watchmen. In the first episode, at the beginning of that show, which, by the way, even if you're not a comic book guy, go watch HBO's Watchmen. It's really good. In the first episode, they showed the Tulsa massacre. And I'm watching this with my brother. And I'm just like, what the hell is this? This can't be real. What type of world are they establishing? And then we Googled it. And, oh, my God, it was horrifying. Trying to understand and broaden your understanding of the world and coming to your own conclusions that's a core aspect of classical liberalism. But let's also look at the people that are putting this. The people advocating for CRT in schools are not advocating for their own students to go ahead and learn other theories. These are the same people that shut down Ben Shapiro when he goes to speech. These are the same people that riot whenever a professor comes who wants to talk about something unpopular. These are the same people that are going ahead and turning our institutions of higher learning into echo chambers. So when we look at the application, when we look at how it's actually being applied to the world, and then we look at their explicit, direct intention, that's not what we're going at. Uh, Rimzo, a plug for your other show. It's embarrassing how much I've learned from watching comic book shows, says Zachary Fish. <laughs> um, what's, what's your other podcast with our good friend Mark Clare? Second Print Comics Podcast. The Second Print Comics Podcast. Go ahead and check us out at secondprintcomics.com. Uh, All right. Hold on. Go, like, go with ahead, with comic books, like with because like Rams was a comic book guy, right? It's like also the bastardization of what they did to Static Shock because Static Shocks. You know, the writers were... locked me. <laughs> really? I love Static Shock, and they and she blocked me. <laughs> it's <laughs> all right. Try to. All right, so Static Shock's origin, like, so the Bang Baby thing, the theory, like, because even, like, the four kids TV show tried to water it down a little bit on what freaking happened to these kids. It was, like, um, it was the, remember correctly, from, like, the old school, like, they bombed their neighborhood, like, when the police bombed the neighborhood, and, like, um, it's... The uh, move bombing in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And you know what just yep. came out in the move bombing in Philadelphia is that the coroner, who I think is still there, um intentionally hid the bones of people to hide that it was uh that it was a racially motivated bombing i mean this shit is coming out all the time and this is this is where you know we can talk about application but like i i i, I get what you're saying like rimzo like the the intention is there but where where i even though I consider myself to be a part of the right, I consider myself to be a Christian conservative. You know, I'm a, more of a communitarian than um, than whatever conservatives are today. Uh, I, I consider myself like more in line with a, a you know the the libertarian the communitarian ideals. Um, but where I think I break is like the fear because I trust the American people that when they start to see things, when they start to notice that like the lockdowns to like i just remember arguing with an, another libertarian podcaster during the lockdowns or last year about masks like we're going to be doing this forever you don't understand they're going to make us do this forever and i'm like no they're not because people are not going to accept that as the reality the people are in charge like the people the fundamental truth about the lockdowns is that it had 90% approval ratings and that's really what the people wanted and that's hard for libertarians to reconcile because we see it as so immoral mm -hmm. it's hard for us to look at the government that we have and reconcile that this is kind of what people want and we're losing the debate in a lot of ways but when they get to a breaking point when they start to see what the government truly is 
in through the pandemic and they see that they're going to be I'm not going to do this for five years. What the fuck are you talking about? Um, right. That that the people rebalance that that the pendulum does swing, but there's always a, the tension in our society is it, it leans towards moderation, and that the takeovers that both sides of the extremes kind of hyperventilate. It never really occurs. It always moderates. It always comes about. Like, I mean, what do you think of that? I mean, I know I'm right, but I'd love to hear your opinion. I, I agree with you on, on the optimistic side of things. Like, you know, I'm in, I mean, I just got here to Wisconsin and like, no, nobody's wearing a mask anymore. Like the people basically told Governor Tony Evers, we're, we're just basically done. But, you know, it, it's this idea talk, of a talk free about, market. Talk about visiting from Virginia to when you were thinking about moving here and Noblesville and shopping. You remember oh, yeah. When I was there in January, no, Noblesville was pretty much a place where, you know, they, they stuck by. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think the, the mask mandates and stuff like that were still in effect in January of this year. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, in had, Indiana. The, we had the mask Like most of the here. stores were pretty yeah, lax. Were, about. In a lot of places in Indiana, there were, but it, it was really dependent upon who was, who was enforcing it. I mean, a, yeah. a lot of stores would, you know, have the signs up, but then people would go in and nobody would say anything and people would do correct. what they want to do. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, and in like Noblesville, I went to a bunch of antique shops to grab a whole bunch of like old comics and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. like it was... The employees had to wear it because that's what the employers wanted. But like they were just basically like, you know, do what makes sense and be safe. Social distance and wear it if you feel more comfortable. Other than that, it was like it was the most free, freeing environment I had felt in a very long time. Now, go and what I what yeah. I liked about it, too, is that it was there was nobody going, oh, you don't have a mask on freaking out or saying, hey, you know, why are you wearing a mask? You shouldn't be doing that either. And I exactly. saw a lot of you had you had a lot country, of it didn't happen yeah. here much. Yeah, oh, and in Virginia, the exact opposite. There, there's a story about this guy in in, uh, Al, in Old Town Alexandria, near where I live. He was on one side of the street on the sidewalk, and then he had this couple walking their dog without masks. Now, the guy on the other side of the street was wearing a mask. He went out of his way to walk across the street to tell them to create more distance as well as put on masks. And then he was hit by an SUV and died. Completely different world. Um, okay, uh, so, you know... R.I.P. Mask Man. M Michael says, it follows what I've been reading about critical theory. In the comments, he's been very kind of anti-critical theory. Sorry, I pushed the wrong button on the wrong hand. What I will say to uh, our audience is that don't... Read Christopher Rufo and, and what he says about critical race theory because he's an opponent. But one tendency that we have in our society today is to read our side's opinion of the other side. Uh, if you want to know more about critical theory, there's a guy named Ben Agar who has written a bunch of books. Um, Cultural Studies as Critical Theory. Um, you know, uh, let's see. Uh, critical Theory of Public Life. eBay is a better place to find his books than Amazon, to be honest. But his name is Ben Agar. He was a, a professor at a university in Texas. He really wrote a lot about critical theory and helped shape what that uh, critical theory and thought is. But his uh, name is Ben, B-E-N-Agger, A-G-G-E-R. Uh, he died in 2015, but he, um, I own several of his books and uh, have read a lot about what he says. And, and it's like, you, you get a different appreciation for um, other sides when you intentionally engage in what they think. Now... Uh, let's move on. 
James Neese, welcome to the program. Uh, you guys are gonna act like I have a camera and I don't have one of those. Like I do, but it's somewhere <laughs> in like the closet. <laughs> Let's explain who James Neese is. James, what you were an early adopter and nurtured 4chan. You've been a co-host here on the show for uh, most of the decade. Uh, you are, uh, when I met you, you're a mutualist. You were the first left libertarian I ever met. And the only left libertarian I met until 2019, which, oh my God, the left libertarians are taking over. And I knew one, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you, you, you always have like a different opinion. And, um, because he is big on 4chan, turn this, turn this off. If you're in the car with your, your mother, uh, or if you have the kids in the car, because God only knows what James... I have instructed James not to say anything racist because he thinks it's funny. Uh, but we'll see if we can get through that. Now I want to hear it. Mm. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, James, have you been listening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can watch me play Diablo while I do this. Um, <laughs> so, so um, yeah, I've been listening to you guys like for a bit, right? Just like talked about that. But you really just talked about like boomers, right? So like the uh, the people kind of like upset about uh, trying to teach kids a little bit of Marxism, right? Like a little bit of that is that what you're talking about? Like the angry, the angry, angry kids. Yeah, I mean, what's your opinion on critical race theory? I know you are a philosophy major. Uh, I don't know. Like I would think like when I, when I when I heard it the first time, right? Like someone like said it was like based on like like a critical the critical philosophy of the like Germany at the time, like back in the seventies where it's like, you know, I need to replace it like this, but for like the most part, like if you examine this, right, I want to look at it from a, uh, a normal perspective is it's just the people that think like, remember when you send your kids to college to become like a bunch of, uh, you know, liberal communists and stuff, right. It's like, Oh, if I send my kid to college, that's what turns into Marxism. And it's that and not like the 500 K housing market. Like it's definitely that. Right. So like when I, when I was, when, when, when I was, when I was watching like the, this like town hall, like a bunch of boomers fighting about it. Right. So you get, I, was, like, I wasn't laughing because I disagree. I've never heard it put that way. That's really funny. Sorry. No, no, it's, it's what it is, right? It's like you watch them at the town hall where they're like, oh, man, I'm like super, super mad about this, right? And it's just like the same like 56-year-old dudes that are still on Facebook that are like, you know, like you're definitely going to uh, gonna be like, you know, a, a communist if you go to college. And it's like it's not even that. It's just straight up like you're just mad because you want to ban something, right? So like I don't even know how you're going to ban it. Like how are you going to like – if you're going to make it like illegal in the school, right? Cause I think like some legislatures are like, well, I'm going to make it illegal. But when I look at it, I'm just like, how, how are you going to even do that? You're going to like go in like the hallway, right? And like, Hey kid talking about black people in a positive way. Like, I think I, think I heard that in the hallway. Right. So like, you gotta like kick the kids out of school. James, do, do you kind of like, that's kind of how it comes across to, to me. It's like, I, they just don't, they don't like black people. The, the boomers that I see on Facebook, like I get it. We get it. Okay. I mean, I get what Rimzo's talking about, the very specific stuff, but that's the, when we're talking about the application, the application by a lot of these boomers is that uh, they just don't like black culture and they don't want anything to do with it. And it's the same people that have said, oh, you know, the pull up your pants statuses. Well, yeah, they don't really have like a good argument against it. It's just them being upset that it's something they 
don't want their kids to know about. But to be honest, your kids are probably already Googling it anyway. And it's like, it's like Wikipedia exists, right? I can like go to any like Facebook or Twitter group and read about it anyway. So it's like a moot point. It's like trying to ban it out from schools, right? It just doesn't make sense. So I'm like, what, what's their biggest complaint? And at the end of the day, it's just because like they're old ass boomers. <laughs> it's, literally, it's literally it. They just don't get it, right? It's like, who cares? Michael, point, uh, please comment. Who, who mischaracterized you? Love to know. What, what do you mean? I think she did because you said that he was in the comments critical of uh, critical race theory. All right, and fair enough. I apologize. I apologize. No, like, I, I mean, I'll be the CEO of racism if you want me to be the CEO <laughs> of racism, right? Like, it's cool, but uh, at the end of the day, it's just, I don't know. Like, everybody's getting mad about it, but I think it's just because they need something to be outraged about, right? Like, uh oh, blue team won. Like, now the blue team won. I have to make some shit up, right? Like, like you're not learning it in like your first like year of college. Like your kids aren't like Googling it. When I was like 15 years old, there's like kids in like my like hometown, right? That have like Blogspot, right? Like this old ass like platform. It's like, well, we've got Blogspot and they're just talking about communism all day at like 15. And that's like back in like 2004. And this is before like a bunch of social media. Like at the time, it's just MySpace. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, it's not nothing new. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, <sighs> I don't know. I mean, Remzo, go. Well, I, I, real quick, the um, um, and I think I just lost what I was just going to say now. All right, uh, no, no. It's, when you, when you've got people like Matt Gates calling out Mark Milley about, oh, we should play that. Oh my God, it's so it's just. Uh, Remzo, that, that's go, what we're at. Though. Go, that's go what, ahead, that's though. What we really we've we've about. disparaged boomers. Defend your fans, the boomers. Go ahead. All right. So, like, as you can see right now, no, like, not James. Right now, Rimzo, right now shut up, James. Rimzo. Dude, the boomers got no love for me. <laughs> I they think know. I'm a left wing hack. You're yeah, that's right, Reinhold. You could laugh at that part. It sounds like you're defending boomer ideology, but uh, go ahead. It's okay. I, I mean, this situation, they're, they're they're right about it, and I mean, James brings up some good things. I think when you go ahead and you're just going to go ahead and outright ban this stuff, that's really bad because what that's going to do is that's going to enable the worst tendencies from the people you expect to go ahead and fight against. I think the biggest problem here is twofold: one, people don't actually read it; they don't understand it, and, and secondly, you know, and, and to go into the Mark Milley point, like I, I didn't agree with all of what he said, but what he was basically defending was a free exchange of ideas he mentions he read Karl Marx it doesn't mean he's the communist he read um, you know Mein Kampf doesn't mean he's a Nazi we, we need to have these things and honestly when you look at critical theory in any abstract from a social studies perspective all it does is allow you to see things from another way now that's going to make it sound like I'm contradicting what I said earlier the problem is and Reinhold brought this up earlier the public education system itself is not going to allow that, whether it's through K through 12 or through public universities. When we bring in one theory, typically it's replacing another in both the uh, the academic level, but also the social level. And this is what we're seeing with the universities is they're clamping down on what courses are offered, who's allowed to speak, which professors can reach tenure. If you want to have your kids not be racist, the last thing I think you want to do is to put them in public education. That's going to teach them not to be racist. And I think that's where a lot of conservatives like I get frustrated with them because it's like, you know, if you didn't enable the state to come this way, you wouldn't be dealing with the worst results. George Bush is the worst president of my lifetime. I'll say that. 
not only did he destroy several countries and destroy our nation with trillions in debt, but he also is the baby daddy of Common Core through No Child Left Behind. That's Republicans who brought that. And when I was at Freedom Works talking about Common Core, I rarely wrote about it. You can go ahead and see my column over at Freedom Works from 2015 through 2016. Who did I go after? Bobby Jindal. Oh, no one likes to talk about how old Bobby was a fan of Common Core. Jeb Bush, Chris Christie, uh, uh, Bob McDonald, Scott Walker, a governor I like, but Scott Walker brought it in. And when did they go ahead and start opposing it? They started opposing it when parents – Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent started looking at what was actually being brought through with Common Core. And they were like, this is some shit. And then when Republican governors began to realize, crap, we're going to lose the homeschoolers and all these other people, the union of the right. That's when they were like, well, you know, I'm defunding Common Core. No one ever asked who funded it to begin with and brought it into their states. Darla Darla says, thank you, Rimzo. I said Bush was worse than Trump, and Chris and Reinhold told me I was wrong. I think Trump, <laughs> no, Trump, was far, Trump was far more destructive to the politics. Bush was more destructive to the government. I look at like, the body the counts, bro. I look at the body counts. What? What? Well... Let's give it. Let's give it. Uh, some let's give us, it ten some years. Of us rely for Clinton, so <laughs> right. like, if we're talking about body counts, yeah, right. right. <laughs> uh, the, the, I think, but you've hit on something, and this, and uh, I'm not well known for sticking up for teachers. Often, I love my teachers. I'm I'm marrying a teacher. Uh, mm. I, I, you know, but anybody who believes firmly in school choice is often accused of being anti-teacher. The reality is, the. Uh, your, your local kindergarten teacher or high school history teacher is not waking up every day thinking about how to make your kids Marxist at your local high school. I have had college professors that that was their goal, but out of the hundreds of hours I've been in college, uh, the, the, I had one that was like that. Like the majority, I am a libertarian because of a high school teacher. Um, I was sitting in Mr. Benj's class in 11th grade, and Mr. Benj said, what you don't understand about history is that it is – what you don't understand about government is that it is perceived power. There are more of you than there are of me, but you sit in these seats and don't get up and walk out because of perceived power that I have and consequences. You know, And he listens to the program, and he, and he loves what I'm doing now, and like, I don't think that we need to demonize teachers. Like Teachers, yeah, maybe they're trying to teach – hold on. Will you please – all right, so let's demonize teachers. Let's demonize teachers. Go ahead, Harry. <laughs> well, you know, I had a teacher just like I had a history teacher, the exact same thing. It was he was always talk about how his favorite president was Andrew Jackson, right? So he spent like a huge portion of this collection talking about the awesomeness of Andrew Jackson, right? And then one week it was like a switch flipped. He brought in all the bad things. It's like, yes, I just built this guy up. You guys think this guy was awesome. All right, now all the bad stuff. And it was and it was that huge foot play, the understanding of history in that social studies class. It was just like because like, yeah, this dude sounded awesome. All this amazing things. And then it was like, all right, now we're gonna do the trail of tears, the dueling, the the awfulness, the 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 yeah. So it's right. and I, uh, it, another thing is first of all, if your teachers if the teachers in high school can control these teenagers like to like the master of control or they can make them do anything yet can't get them to turn their homework in or some some teenagers not show up for class but if you're really worried about these schools t- turning them into races or anything else it's like don't you think the government's probably going to teach them into government leveling um zombies anyway so get them out of the schools at least those I mean, schools. People, well, the way i look at it is people 
you know, teachers can have their ideas and they can be, you know, you can be a Marxist and not try to push Marxism. You can not be a Marxist and still push it if you wanted to. Um, but they're all ideas and all ideas should be out there. But if you really want to fight Marxism, if you want to really want to fight their socialism, you think socialism is on the rise because more younger people are starting to embrace it. The reason they're starting to embrace it is because they're seeing the inequity of the current exist system in there. And they think that the current system is capitalism. The current system is not capitalism. The current system is crony capitalism. It has uh, it's built on race. It's built on class it's built on power it's built on people in power maintaining their power uh, through both of those things and give you know if you look at the differences in the past i mean we've seen redlining zoning laws licensing laws uh, loans be, not being given to people because of their race or their gender or whatever um the, the there was a there was a, a joke about somebody saying that roads were racist. Well, they weren't saying roads were racist. They were saying that the highway system, when it was put in, displaced a lot of black communities because that's where they chose to put the interstates, right? I mean, it was just very disruptive, but and it was specifically done for that reason. So understanding all of that, I think is very important. And that's what I like about critical race theory is it's trying to look at that and examine that. And But if you want to stop the rise of socialism, as I said, we need to do a better messaging and we need to do a better system than we're doing now. And we have to stop. I see a lot of people on the right who are just defended. And, and that's really what conservative conservatism is, is defending the infrastructure and the systems as they are. Right. They want to defend those systems, but those systems are flawed. Those systems have problems and we should be fighting to get those changed in a better way for people so that, Younger people, when they see that they have a different way to go, a different path to think about it, that's all they see is capitalism is bad because of what we see with the inequalities. We need something else. And they only know about this other thing. Right. Yeah. We need to do a better job of getting the the ideas that we have as libertarians and the individualism and the liberalism back to their faces and show them that there are better ways of doing that. Now nah, you're too deep, yeah. bro. You're too deep. Go, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, James. <laughs> go ahead, Denise. Uh, I, I mean, it's like, well, you, you can show them a different way, right? But like, let's let's be real, right? Uh, the the most valuable thing you can have is land, right? Like Bitcoin, isn't it? Like your 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 dollars, isn't it? Like nothing's really it besides land. No one owns any land, so it's like even if I like flip the system like the most valuable thing that you can actually have is land and no one seems to own it so you're just gonna go right back to square one um that's why there's like a that, that great the great reset right that's why you get like these like pension companies going out and buying like all the property right it's like well i'll just buy more property buy more houses at like low cost and it's because like if i own the land i own like you know the economy to some extent at least the middle range economy so then everybody becomes a renter and everybody used to like pay people rent and you can raise the rent to like 20, 1200, 1400, whatever. Um, so Reinhold's like, well, we could teach them a different way, but like that's the end game, right? So like it's like there's no point at this at this moment. You're you're past the point of no return. So you might as well just like throw overthrow the system and get like some like gay space communism shit going, you know, might as well. Hashtag gay space communism. And there's no there's nobody owns property though. That's why I wanted to get another thing I want to get at is in our current system, nobody owns property. The government owns the property. They let us rent it 
through property taxes, right? We pay, we pay a bunch of money and we pay property taxes for rent, but we don't officially actually own it because of that. Because they could take it from you at any time. I mean, it's not even like the government, bro. Like it's like literally like if I, if I have like the capital to buy the property and I'm, I'm like a company, I'm buying like property every day, right? Like I'm gonna buy this house like 20% over market value. Did he just say every gay? Every day. Oh, okay. All right. (laughs) Every day, bro. My butthole puckered. All right. Gays own mad property. It's it's the new way. Um, Man, they bring up housing values like it's nobody's business. (laughs) That is true. But- but the, such as companies are buying it out. I don't. I don't have. I don't have to worry <laughs> about the nature convention. <laughs> I don't even have to worry about the government taking it. Like, like you know, hedge funds will take it anyway, right? So like, it's already slided in that aspect. So it's like people worrying about it, or like, well, I can reset it, or I can like go back and get rid of the crony capitalism. It's like it's just too fucking late. It, it doesn't matter. So at this point, you just burn it down it's like at this point you just literally have to wait till it burns down so you just got to wait till like china invades taiwan or some some bullshit like that no, no i was i was having james, a, james niece is our eternal optimist no i i, <laughs> I um that that's that's like yeah, a real kind of full kind of guy no he's right though i mean i, I had lunch with uh somebody um joe Houtman was on the show last week and we ended up getting lunch this week and we were talking about taiwan you know when you look at like there's 20 million people there you know, mm-hmm. there. I don't know how many are Hong Kong, but it's it's infinitely bigger than than Hong Kong is. Nobody's done anything about Hong Kong and the destruction of freedom there. Nobody's done. Yeah. No country or or international organization has put the brakes on the the basically stealing of the South China Sea. Nobody did anything about Crimea. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of hand wringing. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. not arguing for intervention, but I think it's going to be a tremendous conundrum for non-interventionists and libertarians when. When China invades Taiwan and starts Correct. to ratchet down on that that free country and starts to obliterate freedom for 20 million people while disrupting global supply chains because so many things are made in Taiwan. Well, it, it's, it's about the superconductors, right? So, like, yeah. the only place that makes superconductors and, like, high-yield transformers for power grids is Taiwan. Mm. Like, those those giant, like power grids that like dakota works on or whatever right. that's out there like these transformers they take like five to seven years to build and the only place that builds them in the semiconductors for them is taiwan so it's like it's valuable to have taiwan so you're going to get like a blowback of like if they do like invade it right it's like it's uh if china wants to take it back they obviously want it for the superconductor market um but is like is like america going to defend it or is like the corporate policy of like i can't like really offend china or do anything to china because they have a billion people and those billion people pay five dollars a day for like my stupid products and i can't get rid of that you know (laughs) so it's like that's what i mean by it's like kind of like too late uh because like no one's going to really do anything about it go ahead harry kind of well yeah it's the Taiwan also has like a lot of that labor. A lot of those tons of different businesses also went there. It is, and we're right now like this massive red zone of like when China is actually going to do it. If they're going to do it, it's going to be here the next like five stories, like five, six, seven years because of uh, one. It's they're probably only going to do it like everyone's like they're going to do it this year. It's probably not. If anything, it's going to be ramping up forward until after the Winter Olympics. That are going to happen in, in what is it, Beijing in 2022? 
Um, they're not going to probably do it this way because they want to save face. They still want people to like them. They want people to look nice at them. And after the Winter Olympics, right before like their 100-year celebration, that's when it's going to start ramping up because they want to be able to get the, get Taiwan and then everyone's just going to memory hole. Oh, yeah, remember they invaded that? Because at, right now they took over most of Hong Kong and for some reason – Hollywood or entertainment industry just allow that to get memory hold. No, my, no one my, really wants um, to talk about it or like or bring up like a like even like I'm even worried about even saying the words like free Hong Kong here on Twitch because of the simple fact that like you know, I can get us pulled right there easily. Yeah, I'm my in laws are about to go and uh, drive to Chicago this coming week to pick up five orphans from Ukraine mm-hmm. who were orphaned in the Crimean War, and like we followed that a little bit, but I. It had never occurred to me that there was orphans from that war, <laughs> right? Like, because the American press didn't really talk about it. How much of Hong Kong was really, like, during the crackdown of Hong Kong, YouTube changed all of their policies, and you couldn't get, you, you couldn't get alternative viewpoints. Like, the Scott Horton view of Hong Kong and what was happening there wasn't on a YouTube search. It was... It was ABC, and like they were, and they were talking about the drama. They weren't talking about the real hard effects. Like this, to me, right. is this this stuff is like to me why it's much more impactful for people than a lot of the culture war stuff because people are going to die. There is going to be millions of people that will be killed if if and when. And don't be don't be fooled. I know a lot of people love to celebrate the lab leak theory being validated because uh, the press sucks. But there is no doubt in my mind that part of why Joe Biden gave that such a big lift in and credibility when he when most presidents wouldn't take that step of validating something that their political opponents talked a lot about, I have no doubt that Joe Biden and the Democrats and the press are doing that as a pretext to build anti-Chinese feeling in this country in case Mm -hmm. they need to take a step towards military or uh, or some sort of aggressive act towards China, be it sanctions or military action. Don't don't give it don't be a useful idiot on that particular piece of information. Did you, quick, uh, quick, and with language, let's let's understand. Like, we're not talking about the Chinese people. The Chinese people are great people. We're talking about the CCP. Okay, yes. the Chinese Communist Party. That's the problem. That's the that's the or- government organization that is doing the 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 worst harm to human beings. Period on the planet. Okay, we're talking. About, you know, this is an organization that overfishes has to completely just destroyed the marine life in the China Sea, like outside their own nation. That's why they have to make these awful port flotillas that has gone through and just massacre most of the marine life, has had to walk back from going to the Galapagos Islands last year, but no one freaking heard about that. Like, oh yeah, you're making this crap up. Heck no. The CCP tried to take out freaking endangered species while the Galapagos, they pay off uh, people in Africa so they can go off and overfish over there. Like, it's it is a terrible organization that is just, just destroying this planet. They create 20% most of the carbon emissions that are in, in the environment, and no one gives a damn. You know, you want to, you know, if you really care about climate change, you want to do something about freaking China. Well, sorry, the CCP, they, they're the ones that's doing this. And everyone wants to get up and uh, upset and look at the, what happened with the Miami Tower collapse. Dude, that's a daily freaking occurrence in the CCP. Some of the crap apartments they build up, they're endangering the Chinese people's lives. Yeah. 
So this is the stuff that matters to and, and but it's not the stuff that the public wants. It's not the stuff that they click on. It's not the podcast that they download. It's not the it's not the thing that's going to get politicians donations. And for Republican politicians, critical race theory is the thing. And so let's end let's end with uh, Matt Gates grandstanding, the ultimate grandstanding politician who just couldn't be more shameless. Uh, and so this is uh, him talking to uh, Joint Chief of Staff uh, Millie. What's his first name? Mark. Mark Milley Mark about Ian. critical race theory and how. The, the, so, so what you have to understand is that conservatives now, in the way that they view conservatism, which is power to punish the the Borg left that is going to take over if they don't have power. They they view the last two conservative institutions as the police and the military, and they must protect those two at all costs. It's why you see right-leaning libertarians that have been libertarians for two years who don't understand the word really. They have the back the blue flag up hanging up because they they want to protect the total leftist takeover of the country. Never mind that. The cultural power of the political talk right has never been greater in podcasting, in social media. The complete decimation of the award shows as a platform has taken place over the last three or four years as people have responded and said, I'm, I'm out on this. I'm, no, thank you. Um, that, so it's very important to your, your uncle who talks about the stuff that the military is protected from critical race theory which is what set this up. Uh, and Mark Milley gives a very classically liberal answer to Matt Gates, who is not a classical liberal or a libertarian. He is an authoritarian, right-leaning politician, if, if he has any ideology whatsoever. It's not to say that he isn't right on some issues, but in general, he's off-right. So uh, let's play this from a congressional hearing uh, it, this past week with Mark Millie. In my previous discussions with service members, and particularly officers, I would hear about complaints over parts not arriving on time, long deployments. And in my more recent discussions with those officers, the number one issue that they raised to me with concern, often unable to speak publicly for fear of the type of retribution that Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer faced, they say that your stand down regarding extremism did not help our military, it hurt the military. And I, I want to share with you that perspective, that it caused service members to otherize one another, it impaired group cohesion. And interesting to me is that I've heard those sentiments most frequently from units that are majority minority. Uh, that that this was not particularly helpful. So I'm, I wanted to give you the opportunity to maybe share with us more specificity regarding the definitions that seem to be a challenge when Ms. Hartzler was asking questions. How should the Department of Defense think about critical race theory? Could I make a comment, uh, Secretary? I'm sorry. Well, I, I'm very limited on my time, General Millis. Well, I, I just want to make a comment. That the feedback well, I know, but I've, 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 I've asked the question to Secretary Austin. I don't know what the, what the issue of critical race theory is and what the relevance here uh, in, with the department. That, that, that is Lloyd Austin, the first black defense secretary, saying to Matt Gates, who lives online in a very online world, that 
I don't know what critical race theory is, and I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> do not teach critical race theory. We don't, we don't embrace uh, critical race theory. And I think, I think that's a spurious uh, uh, conversation. And so we are focused on extremist behaviors and, and not, uh, not ideology, not, not, uh, not people's thoughts, not people's um, uh, political orientation. Behaviors is what we're focused on. I would like to yield some of my time to General Milley because I know that he had some comments that he wanted to make when Representative Gates was talking as well uh, as Mr. Waltz about a similar subject of the stand down and, and race theory. Would you like a minute or so to comment on that? Do you remember what we were, what your line of questioning or thought was there? Um, sure. Um, first of all, on the issue of critical race theory, et cetera, I'll, I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is. Um, but I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university, uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So what is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America. What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that, because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders, now and in the future, do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong with understanding having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend. And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago, and it proposed that there were laws in the United States, antebellum laws prior to the Civil War, that led to uh, a power differential with African Americans that were three-quarters of a human being when this country was formed. And then we had a civil war and emancipation proclamation to change it. And we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another 100 years to change that. So look it, I do want to know. And I respect your service, and you and I are both Green Berets. But I want to know. And it matters to our military and the discipline and cohesion of this military. And I thank you for the opportunity to make a comment on that. Yeah, I think this is, uh, this is a big distinction that I see in our politics today, is that... Uh, there's a disconnection between what's happening on Twitter and what's happening in real life. And people that are big on Twitter and in social media and in, in, in the media and the communications realm sometimes don't match up what's happening in real life. And I would just encourage everybody just to make more friends, get out there and talk to more people. Networking is the foundation of, of every great project. If you want to change society, you've got to network. You've got to sell your ideas. You've got to get out there and talk to people and be widely read, as he said. I cannot agree more. Yeah. Uh, Can I make one quick statement, Chris? Yeah. I mean, I, I've been out of the military since February. I, I ended uh, seven and a half years as, ah, a, as, a, national, as a National Guard officer. It, <laughs> I'll, I'll let that slide. <laughs> what, what I do genuinely miss about the military was the fact that it was one of, and this might surprise some people, it was one of the few places where everything outside of the military, everything going on in like regular civilian culture, it was almost insulated in mm -hmm. a way. 
And that as a soldier, I was exposed to people who I became friends with and began to love who I would have never had any other chance in my life. And while I, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where it's like the, the military has so many ongoing missions when it comes to a lot of the issues that conservatives bring up, you know, in terms of like wokeness in the military, a lot of that stuff never actually gets down to like the unit level. Like there's so much other stuff going on that the things that I think your regular American on the left or the right thinks that is actually really going on is where everyday life of a soldier, a Marine, a sailor, et cetera. Like it doesn't like our job was to like defend the country and fight wars. When you're doing that, you begin to really understand what matters and what doesn't matter. Yeah, it seems like that's that's just a comment. No, I think um, I don't. You know, I've through my interviews on now hear this and just the amount of friends that I've had that are in the military and, and, you know, the military guys are like the number one group of our audience. Um, Dennis was in the military. Uh, No other or and my, you know, my business partner, if you want to learn podcasting for me, go to leadersandlegends.net. But, you know, Robert was um, in the military and and he makes the point that there's no greater group that displays social cohesion than military service. And as Harry said, uh, you know, leadership, the service guarantees citizenship. Like, and by that, I think you mean Harry that like it, it, it's, um, it's sort of what Robert always says is like service gives you a different mindset about the community that you serve. Uh, and I know a lot of libertarians, including myself kind of, you know, look at anybody that draws a, a paycheck from the government and calling it service. We find that icky. Um, but there's, um, you know, in terms of, of interracial harmony, Rimzo, it doesn't seem like there's any, uh, group that is more, um, walking the walk than the military. Am I, 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 I'm a chicken hawk, so I didn't serve, but is that the case? Yeah, and I mean, I just want to also point out that when you compare us to a lot of conservative networks, there are more veterans here speaking on a wall than there are anywhere else. Me, Reinhold, Caleb Franz was a guardsman as well. Like, we didn't just come to these things just because it became popular at one point. I, I served it, in the meme wars. Going I served in the meme wars of 2016, Rimzo. Oh, I salute you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> you and that's this is something I've I've noticed before. So when I there was a time in my life when I was kind of figuring out where I fit politically, and uh, if you go back and look at my early writing from let's say the nineteen nineties uh, on on um, uh, the forums I was working on on then, um, I was much more right leaning, I think, than what you would see call me today. Now I see myself as straight down the middle libertarian. A lot of arguments about that, I'm sure, are going to be thrown around. Um, but that's where I show up on when I do the Nolan test and stuff like that. But um, I I was under the impression for a long time that, you know, if we just would quit talking about race, you know, we might lose a, a generation or two, but the younger kids won't be confronted with it and they won't have to deal with it and it'll eventually go away. Yeah. And I realized a while ago 
that and, and I see that I see that comment a lot in certain groups in libertarian movement. And I realized a long time ago that that's just not how dude. that's why that's how I grew up. And that's part of why the mm-hmm. pat the pat down has been so uncomfortable for me, because I grew up in a place with 98 percent white people, 2 percent Muslim, where I didn't have black friends. I didn't know a black person until I met Abdul in college, you know, like really know people like care about somebody like it was um, I was never faced with racism or the ideas of race and like it's not that i was racist and and didn't seek that stuff out it's that i was sheltered from it i was protected from it and the the confrontation of going through that like learning about you know miss pat's life and and understanding where dion's coming from you know it's 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 been great for me it's been enriching in my life and i think this is kind of a a, an interesting comment Interesting to make the argument for forced interactions with uncomfortable ideas and ideals in the military, but not in school. So, that, that's not I what mean, I'm saying at all. Okay, I mean, go yeah, ahead. I, I don't. I agree that that's not what that that's not what Rimzo's saying. I mean, the, the thing is, there's a lot of people on the right who say they don't like people their kids going to college because when they go to college, they're going to be taught socialism and they're going to be learn different things than what we taught them, and they're going to be different people and blah blah blah. But what happens is, is they're not being being taught that stuff is that they start interacting with people different than themselves. They start, they start getting a wider worldview in, in a college setting. Uh, just like in the military, you get a much different worldview because you're not isolated in your kind of little areas. So they start to grow a little differently and see things in a different way than maybe their parents did or, or what they were seeing before. And I think that throws a lot of parents into kind of a, a, a fear that, that the, the schools are doing this to them. The schools are just kind of opening up branches of views that they weren't exposed to before. That's all that is. Yeah. Rimzo, you're, you're actually hold, teaching your kid or Harry, please. We're trying to have a conversation. <laughs> Let the minority speak, Harry. <laughs> Rimzo, defend yourself real quick. And then Harry does have the last word. Yeah, no, by 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 what that comment was basically saying, it's like, you know, we're not forcing a, a theory to be taught West Point, the Air Force Academy or anywhere else. I was saying that you learn that through interactions, through going through your job, through going through your training, through the shared experiences. What my criticism of CRT was, especially from K through 12 education, where it's being implemented and also at the underground level, is that is that is replacing core curricula that is set up in the curriculums that the school districts approve that is then being applied through different syllabi by teachers, where that is what you're going to be focusing on. And that is the structure. And it's one worldview. What I love about the university and people make fun of Liberty University, but I read Karl Marx at Liberty. I read a lot of things at Liberty that I don't agree with, but my professors wanted us to go ahead and read it because it would make us more worldly. When you expand your thought and you give people the options of that, and then you expose them to different things equally, that's fine. But with CRT, such as so many other things, and we saw this with Common Core, specifically through the K through 12 level, because Common Core was not done in the undergrad level for public universities, was that it was outright, this is the worldview, and you need to go ahead and shape your syllabi and your classroom environment to adapt to that. All right, Harry, final word on this episode. What I want to reiterate was the, a lot of the times is like you 
teach somebody something and they're just regurgitating what you're saying. Uh, they're not really teaching them. There's nothing, they, they didn't really take it on. And I think a popular phrase we've been saying, at least in the discord is like, this is a core memory. I'm going to hold on to this. You didn't really teach them that they just regurgitated or just be, they had your political view just by osmosis of being around you. And since that's their political view and they're just get it by osmosis by people around them, you put them around those type of people, they're going to pick up that type of word view. So if you really want to, you should just teach your kids the I, I I see it as like now growing my child up is just like the like the basic principles to examine the world through like the non aggressive principle is a great starting point from that it's so they have a bedrock to build from so whatever idea they pick off whether it be something else they have this bedrock of not aggressing against someone else and being nice to other people it is a great bedrock to start all education on. Also, I appreciate all these parents. I'm shocked all these parents are actually reading the syllabus of their kids and giving a damn about their education system, which is um, it's an it's an it's an awesome and an amazing thing. You should be into your kids um, uh, what what the schools are teaching your kids. And perfectly honest, if you don't if you feel like you don't have the time to homeschool your kids cool treat your public schools as a uh, as a daycare because that's mostly what they are and teach them when they get home when you get home from work start teaching them let them understand like no 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 i'm gonna teach you get your ged when you turn 17 and go do what the heck you want you know it's most inexpensive you know uh, colleges will take your ged and a lot of trade schools will take your ged and you just keep moving from it you know and 10 years on no one's gonna care what you got very good. Uh, I, you know, you look at the comments section and you can watch the video and see them pop up. And, uh, you know, we're on different things. And we're also, uh, uh, just a second, we're going to go uh, to the pool and do, you know, Reagan and I are going to go do, do it, tra- Chris. Tell her a man is talking. We're going to go do trad dad <laughs> stuff. And I got my American flag shirt on. We're ready. Hold on. Well, let's see. All right. Mommy's going to have to help her. The tablet fell behind the couch. Um, uh, so anyways, if you look at the comments section, if you uh, listen to this show, that's the point. People who have a lot in common, who have disagreements, can have a conversation about this stuff. Hopefully you learn something. Hopefully we're modeling some good behavior other than when he, we had to take Nice out of the conversation because he was scrolling 4chan on, on <laughs> air, and so we can't have that. But, uh, yeah, please, if you got something out of this, please share it with your friends and family. We appreciate you listening and watching so much, and we will see you all very soon.